Let's turn in our Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm excited to join you in this passage and allow it to just sink deep in our hearts. I pray that all through the week that these verses, phrases, words just circulate in your heart and that it influences your praise and your fully devoted walk with God. I just want to invite every person who has never tasted Christianity, you've never experienced what it means to be saved, uh, that might be foreign to you, even the language that I'm using. You are new to this entire atmosphere. Uh, This is not a familiar setting for you. And I, I just encourage you to have your heart open and to recognize the power of this day for you. Because I have good news for you. All week long, we are inundated with news, and rarely is it good news. Most breaking news is never to tell us something good. But I want to tell you the gospel is always good news. And we have that to share with you today, and I just want you to see the very essence of what God has done by giving us His Son, Jesus Christ. I just pray this floods into your heart with such clarity that you realize what those of us who are followers of Christ realize, and that is God is irresistible. He's overwhelming. He's amazing. And we are so thankful that you are here and that your heart is open to receive his word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's begin. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The word of God says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Now here's the turning point. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms, Because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast. None of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. His workmanship. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Verse 10 says we're his workmanship. We're his masterpiece. It starts out declaring that we were dead. A transformation. 
a resurrection occurs and we go from spiritual death to not only spiritual life, but living in this destiny for which we were created, you become poetry in motion. You become God's masterpiece, empowered by grace. The grace that saves you, empowers you. Then to live out the purposes of God, the good works, the good things created for you. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Pray with me that our hearts will be ready. God, we thank you now for your word. I thank you for everyone that you have ordained to be sitting in this place. Now, God, I pray that this word that's anointed and alive can be communicated through me, just a, an earthen vessel, with clarity and and anointing. God, take this word and reach to every heart. Lord, reach to every person until when we all leave here, we can know that our, our lives cannot be the same because we have once again heard the good news. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You can go to the top of Mount Whitney there in the Sierra Nevadas, 14,500 feet one of the high places in this country, and it's amazing. Often it's snow-capped, the wind is cold and often roaring. It's a picturesque scene. You go 80 miles southeast, and you go to the lowest place in the United States. It's called Death Valley. On the average day, it's 135 degrees. What a contrast from the highest peak to the lowest valley, this serene setting of beauty and power, to this low place of desperation, to the point that they, they found no better name for it than Death Valley. What a contrast. And I think contrasts are what helps us to understand what the Apostle of Grace is teaching in Ephesians chapter 2. Life and death, light and dark, Spirit and flesh, heaven and hell. What a contrast. And the only one who can play a role to bridge the gap is God. You can take heaven and hell, light and dark. You can take this, this issue of spirit and flesh. And the only transformational power is that you insert but God. God in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his power that helps you to go from where you are to where you could never be but by his grace. Now, we, we've got to start with verse 1 that says that you were dead. We're going to make our way to verse 4 that says, but God. We start with death. We end at the grace of God through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? That here we were, dead. That's verse 1. And it's also again in verse 5. You were dead in verse 1. Verse 5 says, we were dead. The word dead there means like a zombie entrenched in this prison that was, was inescapable by our own effort and our own thinking. It, we, we were incapable of changing anything. We were dead, not diseased, not disabled, not depressed or despairing. No, we were dead. Dead. I, I know a guy that's a mortician. He's a friend of mine, and he says at times there in the funeral home, he has literally seen dead people just have like these, these, 
muscle reactions and they jerk. And one guy had one so violently that he flipped off of the table onto the floor. I want to tell you, had I been there, there would have been two people on the floor. I said to him, I said, did that wig you out? He said, no, no, that didn't wig me out. It doesn't bother me at all. He said, because dead is dead. That's what Paul is saying in this writing. We weren't sick in our sin. We weren't depressed in our sin. We weren't disabled in our sin. We were dead in our sin. Now, that's hard for us because we live, we have jobs, married, learning, advancing. And so it's hard for us to connect this word dead because we look at it through the the human lens. Realize our heart is beating. So we're trying to connect that Paul says we are dead. That's if we look at it through a human perspective. That is why humanism makes such good sense to us. In humanism, we realize our ability, and then it moves to our accomplishment. And we even recognize and award people for their human accomplishment. But if you were to give me a plaque and put me on a pedestal for some human accomplishment, but I don't know Christ as my personal Savior, I am nothing more than a dead man on a pedestal. Because the Bible is clear, I am dead in my sin. So what does it mean to be dead? That's explained to us in verses 2 and 3. Let's read them again, starting at verse 2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Other versions say you walked according to the course of the world, enslaved by the world. Continue reading with me. Obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. We were obedient to satanic influence. Here Paul is defining what it means to be spiritually dead. Continue with me. He is the spirit that works in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. So now he gives us three descriptions of what it means to be spiritually dead. Enslaved by the world. We are captured by this culture and obedient to satanic influence. And finally, we are driven by desire. And that's how we see truth turned into a lie. That is how we see such deviant behavior. Because people aren't living out of a disconnect from God... They are living in spiritual death. Let me give you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase out of the message paraphrase. He says in verse 1 that we were mired in that old stagnant life. Have you ever seen a pond that was once beautiful and inviting and then it became covered over and stagnant? He says we were mired. Capture the wording there, the description, mired, stuck, trapped in that stagnant life. And he says, you, you filled your lungs with the pollution of unbelief. And then you exhaled disobedience. We were captured. We were trapped because we were dead, influenced by the prince of the power of the air. That word power is exosia, the authority of the lower heavens. We believe in a literal Satan. We don't see him, but we sense him, and we see his manipulation and mesmerizing the minds of so many, capturing them in this culture, and then they are driven 
by fleshly desire. That's the description of spiritual death. You see, if we can paint the picture biblically and accurately, then we can get the contrast of when God stepped in. Sometimes we can't be saved because we don't realize we're lost. We, we can't be made alive in Christ unless we understand we are spiritually dead apart from Christ. If we can understand the darkness and desperation of spiritual death, then how bright will resurrection power appear? God becomes irresistible when we realize our inability to change our circumstance and our condition. But God, aren't you thankful for the grace of God? There's a man by the name of Jeremy Bentham. He made an incredible amount of money in his day, and he served on a hospital board there at the University of London Hospital. And he believed in that hospital, and he said in his, his will, when he died, his entire estate would go to the hospital if they would fully embalm him. And at every board meeting, they will this dead man into the boardroom, sitting him, seating him there at the conference table. And when they open up the board meeting, they declare that he's present, but not voting. It happens to this day. Here's this picture. Check it out. This is amazing. There's Jeremy. I mean, this guy has been dead for 160 years. And they open up this vault once a month, bring him out, and they seat him there at the conference table and declare him present, but not voting. Now, everyone in that boardroom and everyone sitting in this room, we know that this guy is dead. Here's what we disconnect. That once the other board members in the room start interacting, contributing to the meeting agenda, and even voting, we don't realize or connect that if they don't know Christ, they too are dead. They are spiritually dead. They are present, contributing, voting, most of them probably married, living, learning, moving forward, but without Christ, enslaved, captured, driven by desire, spiritually dead, mesmerized by groupthink, captured by the culture, driven by desire, the dead live on. Many of you probably read or saw the story of Aaron Ralston, who at age 27 loved to go into the Colorado Rockies and do a lot of hiking. He is in this deep gorge and it gets narrow and somehow there's a shift of the rocks and this huge 800 to 1,000 pound boulder rolls across his arm. And so he's trapped. He tries everything to free himself and finally, five days being trapped, he realizes unless he takes some drastic measures, he will die. So he takes his knife and he amputates his own arm just below the elbow. 
and is able then to walk out of that circumstance and seek additional help. His story is one of the most amazing I've ever seen, I've ever heard. But you see, it's different for sinners. We're not just trapped by the burden of our sin, and if we will take extreme, drastic measures, we can free ourselves, save ourselves, and position ourselves for some kind of hopeful eternity. No, because we're not trapped, we're dead. We're not bound, we're dead. That is the theology of Scripture. Wesley captured it when he says, I was in a dungeon chained, chained by my own sin, but suddenly a light came into the dungeon and freed my soul. He goes on to write, no power to free himself, no power to save himself. The condition of all humanity. And here's the good news. But God. Could you say it with me? Here we go. But God. He moved in. He made a move. And because of his death and resurrection, you and I can become recipients of this gift called amazing, amazing grace. Thank you, Jesus. Now, notice with me in the scripture and just see the gospel captured right here in these verses. I would encourage you to make some circles and underline some phrases and you will see it so clearly. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, it says, but God. Just underline that. But God. And then if you draw an arrow or draw a line, there in verse 5, it says, gave us life. But God gave us life. Now go down to verse 6 and underline, raised us up. And then the last part of verse 6, seated us with him. And that is the gospel. God gave us life, raised us up, and seated us. And notice in each of those, it's with him, with Christ. But God, who's rich in mercy, notice what it says here, so loved us that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him. Isn't that amazing? We were dead, helpless, hopeless, in an inescapable prison of our own sin. But God, but God, hallelujah, who is rich in mercy, he made the move and he released me out of this mire of a stagnant life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Why, why would he do it? Why would he do it? This has kind of been a thread that runs through every message on grace. It's captured right here. I gave you a definition a few weeks ago that grace was not a result of anything within us. In other words, God didn't look at us and then suddenly become motivated because of something he saw in us to go to the extent that he has gone to provide us grace. Because if so, then we would somehow have merited grace. No, grace is simply that which comes out of the bounty of God. 
It has everything to do with God, and it has absolutely nothing to do with us. There was nothing in us that could invoke or motivate that kind of love. It comes out of the very benevolence and the bounty of God. Now, with that, listen to these phrases. Why did he do it? Because he is rich in mercy. Why did he do it? Because of his great love. Why did he do this? Because of his kindness, his grace. You see, grace is unmerited favor. It is given to those who are undeserved. It is unconditionally demonstrated. Oh, imagine we deserve punishment, but in his grace, he gave us forgiveness. Hallelujah. We deserve the consequences of our sin, but in his grace, he gave us kindness. We deserved wrath, but in his grace, he gave us relief. We deserved hell, but in his grace, he gave us hope and an eternal home in a place called heaven. We deserved shame, but in his grace, he has forgiven us. He has delivered us, and now the guilt is gone. Unmerited favor, unconditionally demonstrated to the undeserved. That's you and me. We were dead, but God. Can we give him praise today for who he is and what he's done? Hallelujah. But God, hopeless and helpless, but his mercy showed up. He, he, he reached down into humanity and gave his son, and Jesus died and rose again. And now grace is available. Grace, grace. I'm not saved today because... My dad is a good guy, or my mom has attended church over the years, or I pay my bills. I'm not saved because I work at the church. I'm saved by grace. It's nothing that I've earned, and I certainly don't deserve. That's why Ephesians 2 calls it a gift. It is a gift. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here we were, dead, but made alive. But it doesn't stop there. And we go on to be his workmanship, his masterpiece. And your life becomes what you never could have dreamed. And you begin to walk in the good things that God has created for you before you ever took your first breath. See, he created you that he might have fellowship with you. He created you that you could do life together. He wants to make your life work he wants to make your life thrive. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you vision and dreams. He wants you to be able to live out of grace. Wake up every day, not motivated because you've listened to a self-help talk or read a self-help book. Not waking up motivated because the sun is shining. And thank God it's not cloudy or raining. All of that is so temporal. All of that is so earthly all of that is so fleshly i want us to wake up in the morning and wake up motivated by grace 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 an entire church that is grace driven an entire church that lives out of the grace capacity 
that is now so enormous in our hearts because we have received that grace. Now let me give a warning and a reminder. Here's the warning. Don't be fooled into thinking that those who are spiritually dead are fulfilled. This is a very important warning because we can see people who are successful, famous, and wealthy as being really happy because, I mean, what else do they need? Don't be fooled by those who are spiritually dead thinking that they are fulfilled. It is a ploy. It is an act of deception by Satan himself to make you think that adding some earthly relationship, being able to make the next purchase, the next acquisition, getting the next degree that somehow the void in your soul that's there because of spiritual death will somehow be filled. That is an act of deception by Satan himself. How many more examples do we need to show us that money cannot fill the void in our hearts, that popularity, fame, success cannot fill the void in our hearts? Keith Urban, who is a great musician, he, he, he sings country music, which is what we'll have in heaven. Someone who was kind of asleep went, amen, praise God. They don't even know what I said. He's been in and out of rehab, and he's done real well since the last time he came out of rehab. And here's what he says. I realized that a stadium full of people calling my name, a full stadium, cannot fill the emptiness of my soul. Brad Delt, lead singer of Boston, who takes his gas grill right off of his patio, drags it in his house, into his bathroom, closes the door, lights the gas grill, and kills himself, commits suicide, leaves a note on his shirt pocket that says, I'm a lonely soul. See, in reality, he was a spiritually dead soul. All of the money that he had Success, fame, and yet he's so lonely that in his desperation he takes his own life. Do I need to recall the famous that have fallen over recent weeks? Let me give a warning. Please don't be fooled into thinking that those who are spiritually dead are fulfilled it is a ploy it is an act of deception by satan only jesus christ can satisfy your soul only jesus can take the confusion loneliness and despair that are the results of spiritual death and deal with them only jesus can address the spiritual death and by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he quickens life. He makes you alive. Alive, alive. Here's the reminder. At the core of everlasting relief is an understanding 
and embracing of grace. What gives us life and it brings such relief is a journey, a continuation where we learn and embrace the capacity of this grace. It's exactly what you see out of the heart of John Newton, that that vile sinner who cried out to God in his spiritual deadness and the grace of God flooded his soul, resurrected his dead spiritual life. And out of that grace capacity, he wrote, Amazing grace, oh, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Notice the embracing of grace and the working of grace. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. So through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me on. You see the embracing and the unfolding work of grace. So when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That is the embracing and the unfolding power of God's amazing grace. So today, I pray your heart is touched I've asked God to work on our hearts as we've set under his word there's no day like today for you to respond this is a perfect day for you to be saved this is a perfect day for you to come alive in God this is a perfect day for God to raise you and seat you in a whole different core positional place the place of grace the place of newness of life. No better day. I've alerted you to the truth. I've tried to strip away all the self-deception that humanism tries to teach so that you could come to faith, just your faith in His grace, and you are saved. So, If you're in the valley of death And you wonder what life would be like On the mountain peak of true significance Then I step into your contrast And I say But God Let's pray together Lord I thank you for the influence of your word And now see us ready to respond. A few moments, we're going to take communion. But first, I want to give you an opportunity to be in right relationship with God. Do you need his grace? Do you find yourself in that valley of spiritual death? And you understand now you can't save yourself. You can't walk out of it. See, dead people can't walk. You can't walk out of this. You can't save yourself. You're dead. But God, who 
is rich in mercy and because of his great love reaches to you today with his son and Jesus will just pick you up and he will save you. you say today pastor it is my day you're right it's a perfect day to accept Christ and I need to make that choice I need to accept this gift then I want you to raise your hand right now just raise it up and I'll pray with you and for you no day like today you'd say I need to accept Christ I want you to ponder that that issue in your heart there's a second group and that is that person who's grown cold in their heart toward God the passion for God is gone something has layered that longing in your heart for God it's not like it used to be and as we have walked back through the rich truth of God's grace it has made you convicted and that conviction leads you to repentance to reconciliation with God If that is you, would you raise your hand and let me pray with you? Say, that's me. That is me. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. See, you're just being honest with God. Just allow the grace to penetrate your soul. Let it go to that place with you that you won't let anyone else go. Let God go there with you and address the deepest need of your heart. Lord, I thank you for people who have just been honest with you today. And now, as we confess you as Lord, as we believe that you are risen from the dead and we accept the gift of your grace, let salvation happen. Reconciliation occur even this moment. We confess our sins. We acknowledge we are sinners. And we need your grace. There's nothing in us that can turn you toward us. You turn toward us out of your love. And you put the wrath aimed at us on your son. And Jesus bore the wrath of God and all of our sins so that we might be saved. We accept that gift today. You see those who are making that decision? You see those that are being dealt with so deeply by your spirit. God, continue to work on them and see their surrender. Respond to their open heart with grace. We give you the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.